Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Jajawarong and the Wadawarong people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening. I've lost Peggy. I thought I shut the door and then I realised she's pushed it open with her nose and so she's done a fucking runner. She's and like, I'm not listening to this anymore. Yeah, I cannot like, deal. Oh God, it's four o'clock. It's four o'clock on a Monday. That's it. I'm fucking out of here. She's gonna bang on about some fucking chicken history. Okay. Hello and welcome to Chickstree, the podcast that is rewriting the history books to include the women that were written out of them. I'm Annie, and that's Phoebe. Hey. Hey, <laughs> hey, that's what cows eat. She's, she's really been working on her I've extended. My, I've really extended my vocabulary. Hey, hey there. Hey. Hi. Uh, hi. We've got to talk about two things today that I've been watching that are mm-hmm. both terrifying and um frightening neither of which I'm going to watch is what you're you're telling me (laughs) yes this recommendation is not for you is for the other listeners but um oh you might I don't know it depends if you like um a true documentary Mm -hmm. not crime but it is a disaster oh Sounds uplifting. Mm. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a documentary at the moment called Aftershock, which is all about the Nepalese um, earthquake in 2015. Oh. And can I just say that, like, because everyone has a, a camera now, that for the first time this documentary's kind of been made, like the whole documentary's kind of been made with real footage mm. because they were able to capture so much footage yeah. from people's phones, even from people like up on not just at base camp because it happened at Everest and a couple of other places around Nepal and in Kathmandu, but people who are up on the mountain mm. who are filming it as it happens. Oh. And it is some of the most amazing footage that you'll see like but it's so it's so sad and frightening and and you know and I and I remember I was actually it was 2015 and I was I went on a little pilgrimage for my 40th I did Mm -hmm. a trek a five-day trek in Alice Springs at the Lara Pinta Trail highly highly recommend if you like going for a trek um so I did that for my 40th and the guide that we had at the time was she had done some treks in Nepal and also Everest and because there's no phone reception where we were, every now and then we would get to the top of a mountain and she'd get a bit of a, she'd get a message and she'd be like ding, ding, ding and she's like, oh, there's something happening, like something's going on, like I'm getting all these messages. Anyway, and then it turns out that it was it was the earthquake and she had known quite a few people who had been um, involved but um, it's just I mean, if you like that kind of thing, it's it's not uplifting. It's not. It's very sad, but it's just absolutely incredible. And I just didn't realise how bad it was. Yeah. Until 
until, until you see it. it. And I've you... got a yeah, I've got a friend in Nepal at the moment actually, and she's doing a trek, yeah. and she got there on the first day. She messaged me and said there was an earthquake, and I said stand in a doorway or line a bath, whatever yes. it is. I was like, I'm not the person to ask about earthquakes. And she said, oh, I went and spoke to the guy in reception. <laughs> he said, oh, what? That was nothing. She thought, oh, my God. <laughs> They'd be so used to it. Yeah. Yep. They'd be so used to it. Just seeing, you know, entire villages wiped out mm. where they thought that, you know, these people who had come up, had gone up a – um the mountain and because there's survivors mm. they're telling their story like you know like survivors do right it was just the normal day we'd set up to go you know do the, do the first bit of the world walk and it's all their footage as, wow. as well so it's kind of yeah it just sort of makes this st- a whole new level of storytelling um and the other thing that i'm watching at the moment um is called the patient with steve carell in it mm-hmm. and God, and Steve Carell's just like acting like a goddamn genius. And um he's a he he's a psychiatrist and he basically gets kidnapped by his patient and is held held captive by his by his patient who mm-hmm. turns out to be a serial killer. And um so yeah, so there's that as well. So I'm watching two Really, yeah, really uplifting. Uplifting, um, bringing the joy into my world. Yeah, I started watching yesterday um, Sins of Our Mother. Have you heard of that? Oh, yeah, I have. Mm. I have. Yeah, it's about a woman who, um, you know, joins the Latter-day Saints and then That's it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It becomes very culty and it's all very yeah, if you if you like a cult, mm-hmm. you know, um, definitely worth a watch. Oh, mm. that that reminds me. Mm. I have I had mentioned um, a couple of seasons ago, Nexium. Oh yeah. Se- <gasps> yeah. So there's yeah. a season two. <gasps> Is there? There's a season two. And it's just started. The first <gasps> ep's up. The second ep should be up. But they've actually, it picks up from the court case mm. and they actually start interviewing all the people who start defecting and oh. start, who once you thought were, were not going to turn, yeah. and now have started turning. Yeah. So, yes, I binged that first. Oh, yeah, so good. There you go. There you Look go. At us. That's our roundup of. Yeah. Really uplifting TV. What we've been watching. <laughs> we do nothing else except no. watch. This is true. TV. This is true and I am not afraid to say it. Me either. I did watch the DNA detectives. <sighs> what a, Isn't it uh, amazing? Yeah. I thought, God, I'm so good. I love my job. <laughs> Absolutely. Thought, yeah, it is. It's fascinating. Yeah, and DNA research, like genealogical DNA research can be tricky but it can be really beneficial so I've recently helped a client who um was trying to work out who his biological grandfather was Um, and anyway we've narrowed it down to two men and yeah we think we've found him wow he's no longer with us but um yeah found out who he was so that's amazing yeah that must be incredible see you're already being a dna detective oh i know i know i do wear my sherlock holmes hat i know i just think of that little emoji 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with the with um, magnifying, magnifying glass. glass. What's your uh, What's your factoid of the day? So we all know fairy tales and nursery rhymes from our childhood. Mm-hmm. Have all the ones that your mum or your grandma or someone used to sing you as a kid. But um, did you know that um, there are origin stories to most of them? So they weren't sort of just made up fairy tales. There's usually yes. Yes. Um, some sort of story behind them. And nursery rhymes can be traced back to as far as the 14th century. Mm. However, their golden age, so when they became very popular, was in the 18th century. But lots of them have quite a dark history. Mm. I thought I'd tell you about a couple that Please. you would probably know about. Yes. So Baba Black Sheep. And I'm sorry, everyone's probably going to have these rolling around in their heads. Baba oh, Black Sheep, have you? I'll do the music yeah. accompaniment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Baba Black Sheep was about the medieval wool tax imposed by King Edward I in the 13th century. Mm. And under the new laws, a third of the profit of a sack of wool would go to the king, a third would go to the church and a third to the farmer. Black sheep were also considered to be bad luck as their fleeces were unable to be dyed and therefore harder to sell and harder to make oh, money from. Yeah. Ring a Rosie, Ring a Ring a Rosie, is said to be about the 1655 Great Plague of London. Oh, yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah, so it's pretty dark. Mm. Um, the Rosie is supposedly the fetid smelling rash that developed on the skin of those suffering from the bubonic plague. Oh, dear. The stench would then need concealing, and that's what a pocket full of posies was for, so it's, um, flowers or something. Um, the bubonic plague killed 15% of Britain's population population at the time and the last line a tissue a tissue we all fall down refers to these deaths oh jeez and we Goosey all sing them so merrily we know we don't we do don't we yeah and yeah. you don't think it you don't think about the no where it comes words, from but yeah. yeah goosey goosey gander is actually about religious persecution and reflects a time when catholic priests would have to st- um say their forbidden latin based prayers in secret so this would have been oh. around the time that um the church of england was being established so right yeah yeah um, one of the nicer nursery rhymes was Mary Had a Little Lamb, Aww. which was based on a true story about a little girl named Mary who was 11 and she had a pet lamb that followed her to school. I know. And in the late 1860s, Mary helped to raise money for an old church by selling wool from her pet lamb. Oh, Mary mm. Had a Little Lamb. Its fleece yeah. was white as snow mm. and everywhere that Mary went, that lamb was sure to go. Mm. Exactly. I don't know. Can't the next remember bit. any no. else. But yeah, it's um. So lots of the lots and lots of nursery rhymes have a story behind them. Either it's something quite dark, or yes. um, there's religious connotations uh, um, of the day. So very interesting, though. It's a it's a, it's a big one, mm-hmm. and I've and I just wanted to caveat this by saying a couple of things. A, I am not a historian. Okay, and I really, this week, I think I've bitten off more than I can chew. <laughs> Just got to say, because I've gone to ancient history. Holy dooly. I know. And I'm talking, <gasps> we're talking kings, we're talking queens, mm. we're talking 
Plantagenets. Oh, you just liked that word and you ran with it, didn't you? You're like, I'm going, I'm going there. I'm when going I there. Heard, when I heard that this was Plantagenet's time, mm-hmm. I was so excited to tell you <laughs> that it's the first Plantagenet that we'll be talking about. One of the one of her husbands. Oh my god! And there's also oh another cameo as well. And if you've been listening, you'll know it when you hear it. Oh. Um, and I also want to say that yes, it's. Some of these names are very difficult to pronounce. <laughs> Places in France, Paris, I don't know, okay, and I'm just going to do my best. That's all we can do. That's all we That's can do. All we can okay. do. So I'm going to tell you the story of Eleanor of Aquitaine. I know. <laughs> she was the only woman to ever rule over both England and France at the same time. Not just one queen of a land, but two lands. Okay, so we think Eleanor of Aquitaine was born around 1122. It's hard to to know these things. Mm, It's a Um, funny time. It's a funny time. There's conflicting reports. Um, And she was also born in France, although her exact birthplace is a bit of a mystery as well. Mm -hmm. She was the eldest of three children to William X, who was Duke of Aquitaine, and his wife, who was called Anoa de Châtellerault. That was très française. <laughs> Eleanor had a sister called Petronilla and a brother called William. And her name, uh, Eleanor, is said to have come from the Latin Alia Anor meaning the other Anor. So her mum's name was Anor, mm-hmm. she's the other Anor, so that's where Eleanor comes from. There you go. The other Anor. Uh, so even though we're talking the early 12th century, very early. Very oh, early. We've got way back. <laughs> um, her father ensured that she had a good education. She learnt arithmetic, the constellations and history, and she also developed her skills in conversation, dancing, games such as backgammon, checkers, and chess. She played the harp and she also enjoyed singing. She was learning Latin. She was well versed in music and in literature. And she was also schooled in riding, hawking, and hunting. Wow. She's got, she's got a lot on. She's busy. Busier than me. Mm. In the bloody 21st bloody century. I know, watching all your docos. <laughs> I, can I can't say, well, I went hawking on the weekend. Can't say that. We could if you wanted to. Um, I don't know what hawking is. Mm. I assume it has to just do something with a hawk. I would have assumed it was, you know, when you see those those men with They were the both putting our arms and, out. Yeah. And we've got yeah. hawks This is on a them. visual medium, clearly. <laughs> um. And she was also described as being lively, intelligent and strong-willed. I don't know if I said that. Did I say that? No. And she was quite the extrovert. Of course, she was also encouraged to learn domestic skills such Mm. as household management and the needle arts of embroidery, needlepoint, sewing, spinning and weaving. Ovs, because she's a girl. Yeah. In 1130, tragedy strikes and her brother William, who is only four, and her mother die sadly in a castle somehow Mm -hmm. but this now puts Eleanor in line to become the heir presumptive to her father's domains now what is an heir presumptive you ask I did I did ask 
Well, an heir presumptive is the person entitled to inherit a throne or other hereditary honour, but whose position can be displaced by the birth of an actual heir or by a better suited heir apparent. So basically Mm -hmm. it was hers until someone better came along. Yeah, until if he remarried, had a son, or there was a cousin that wanted to usurp her. Or she had a son. Yeah. Yeah. As well. Mm. So uh, her father's territory or dukedom, uh, was quite substantial and was considered to be the largest and richest province of France. In 1137, her dad decides to head to Bordeaux with his two daughters, Eleanor and Pentranilla, and when he gets there, he leaves them in the charge of the Archbishop of Bordeaux and he sets off on a pilgrimage. And it's while he's on this pilgrimage that he dies suddenly. Oh. So Eleanor is just 12 years old and she becomes the Duchess of Aquitaine, which also makes her the most eligible heiress in Europe. Hmm. Not only uh, this, but she's also a bit of a babe, apparently. So Mm -hmm. even in an era when ladies of the nobility were excessively praised, even if they weren't worthy of it, Eleanor was described as purpultura, purpultura which means more than beautiful. Oh, so you and I. Yeah, like us. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, (laughs) Peggy's back. (laughs) You're right, mate. Have a good, yep. Okay, good. In his will, her dad requested that Louis VI take care of both his lands and his daughter and that he was to also find her a suitable husband. Mm Until a husband was found, the king had the legal right to Eleanor's inheritance. So she couldn't, mm. she couldn't really do anything with it. Thank yeah. you, Peggy, for that loud shake. <laughs> so King Louis VI, who was also known as Louis the Fat. Mm. Was it He's the, that quintessential, like you see, portraits yes. yeah, from that era. You can imagine, right? Yeah, with the with cur- the Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, again, a visual Mm, yeah. Visual media there will be the both yeah. yeah, the hair. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. Uh, okay, but he was not very well and he knew that his end was nearing. He was suffering from dysentery, which is Ooh. not a very good thing to no. suffer from. Uh, and he knew that he would probably uh, not recover. So knowing this, he decides that Eleanor will marry his 17-year-old son, also known as Louis. So I love mm. this story. is very confusing because mm. there's like three names back then. Yep. And they're all in this story and <laughs> we're going to keep saying the same names over and over again, so bear with me. So old Louis, Louis the Fat, says so my son Louis is going to marry Eleanor. Eleanor's only like, I don't know, she's probably what, 13 at the time, mm. 12, 13. Yep. And he's 17, uh, so that's not great. And um, he does this to ensure that Aquitaine will be under the control of the French crown, greatly increasing the power and prominence of France and its ruling family. So within hours of Eleanor's father dying, King Louis VI arranges for his son, little Louis, to be married to Eleanor. His son is sent to Bordeaux with with an escort of 500 knights, including a guy named the Count of Champagne. Oh. Hello. Hello. And 500 knights, that is a lot. 500 knights, I know. The Count of Champagne will make a reappearance. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and on July 25th, 11.37, Eleanor and Louis are married and immediately after the wedding, the couple are enthroned as the Duke and Duchess of Aquitaine. It was agreed that Aquitaine would remain independent of France until such time as Eleanor's oldest son can become the King of France and the Duke of Aquitaine. Mm-hmm. This meant her holdings remained hers until she had a son. As a wedding present, this is lovely, she gave Louis a rock crystal vase, which is currently on display at the Louvre. And I'm going to go and visit that Mm. when I go to France next month. Yeah. So apparently Eleanor's not very popular with the people, you know, with the common people. Mm. Um, She's known as a bit of a troublemaker and even her own mother-in-law thought that she was flighty and a bad influence and that she uh, was said to have immodest dress and language. She's a teenager. What do you expect? (laughs) Hello, exactly. The king, however, was madly in love with his new bride and although her behaviour most of the time confused him and got him in hot water, he granted her uh, every whim. A lot of money went into making their palace the site. So when it's an C-I-T and the E's got an on it. Mm. The Cité. Cité. Yeah. Cité. The Cité Palace in Paris. Um, yeah, he spent a lot of make money making it more comfortable. Mm. Eleanor's sake. Mm-hmm. So Louis, little Louis, was apparently a very godly man and was actually set on becoming a monk. But uh, he actually has a fall out with the Pope and at some time in, within this time frame, I don't also times, timings, just mm. what I'm doing my best. It's fluid. It's fluid, all right. Um, he's excommunicated because... It has to do with him annulling a marriage, which he doesn't really have the power to do, mm. but he just says, I'm the king, so I'll say this marriage is annulled. And he does it because Eleanor's sister, Petronilla, wants to marry a guy who's already married. So mm-hmm. Eleanor says to him, to little Louis, can you annul this marriage? My sister, who's 17, wants to marry this 40-year-old. <laughs> it's so gross and wrong, <laughs> but this is the time we're living in. and. Louis says yes, and he's like, I'll do anything for you. And basically the Pope gets pissed off and says, you're excommunicated, which is not great. It actually, there's like a war that happens. A whole village gets burnt to the ground. A lot of people die. It's not great. All because of this little Mm. relationship, her sister's relationship. So bless her, one for the team. (laughs) Um. So Eleanor, also 11.45, Eleanor gives birth to her first child. But alas, it's a huge disappointment because oh, it's a girl. She gives birth to a girl called Marie. And after Marie is born, the Pope, they've made up now, the Pope says to Louis, okay, so what I want you to do is to lead what is known as the Second Crusade into the Middle East. I have, I don't know, who am I? I am talking about <laughs> Crusades and the Middle East and the Holy Land and King Louis. <laughs> I don't even recognise myself. God, I've come a long way. <laughs> She's speaking the French. She's I'm oh. speaking the French. So, anyway, yeah, the Pope says, look, I want you to go to the Middle East and win back some of our land. There was some 
thing going on with the Turkish people and the the Latin something, uh, some war dumb things. I don't know. So Louis says does that because he wants to, you know, stay on the right side of the Pope and he says, yep, I'll go. And this is actually the first time a king goes on a crusade. Mm-hmm. Kings wouldn't normally have gone, but he's like, I'm going to do it because I owe it to the Pope. And he feels bad about the fire burning down a whole village. So he says, I'm in. And then Eleanor says, well, I'm in too. Count me in. So she puts her hand up as well. So she's just given birth, but she's like, whatever, I'm coming. Mm. And um, she says, yeah, that sounds like fun. Let's do that. So um, from 1147 to 1149, Eleanor accompanies uh, Louis on the Second Crusade to protect the fragile Latin kingdom of Jerusalem that was founded after the First Crusade, which was 50 years before, from Turkish assault. So Eleanor recruits some of her own army uh, made up of royal ladies-in-waiting as well as 300 non-noble Aquitanian local peeps. Mm-hmm. She's got her own little army as well as Louis got his army and they leave on their crusade. So to cut a long story short, there's a lot that happens during this crusade over these two years that they're gone, but it's basically a shit show. It doesn't go well at all, right? <laughs> Louis is described as a weak and ineffectual leader um, with no skills for maintaining troop discipline or morale. But Eleanor, on the other hand, is in her element and she's very much admired. She's even compared to Penthesilia, Penthesilia, a mythical queen of the Amazons. Now there's quite a few disagreements around which routes to take, Eleanor has her own kind of guy that goes with her, like a, you know, her. they're called a um, vassal, a private vassal, which is a, they're like a servant kind of thing, called Jeffrey. (laughs) I know, I know. Oh, Jeffrey. (laughs) So Jeffrey and Louis have a fight over which way to go and how long to keep going for and which village to go to and, and Eleanor and Jeffrey are like, no, we're going to keep going on ahead. Louis says, no, we're going to. I'm going to hang back. Louis also has to look after her many, 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 many carriages of luggage because mm. she has brought along with her not only all of her stuff because she's not a light packer, but also the royal ladies in waiting who have come with her as well. She's got this huge entourage, and basically. What ends up happening is the party gets split up. Eleanor and Geoffrey are up ahead. Louis in the back. The Turkish people realise this and there's a huge massacre and they're ambushed. So oh. it doesn't end well, right? Eleanor and Louis survive, so does Geoffrey, but Geoffrey's blamed for this um, massacre basically and Eleanor then later is also blamed because had she not listened to him and had she stayed with Louis, stayed next to her husband like a good girl, had she not packed so much, he wouldn't have been <laughs> weighed down with all, like there's lots of things but she's basically mm. blamed for it. And um, they, Louis and Eleanor have a huge fight obviously and um, things start to go south for the couple from here. So Eleanor actually tries to get an annulment uh, on the grounds of consanguinity. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know? I do not. Please, consanguinity means. Well, I'm please. glad you asked. <laughs> <Inform>. <laughs> 
I've gone deep with the research on this one. I'm should be very proud of me. Um, it's basically the fact that uh, her husband um, were her and her husband were too closely related. So yes, right. Okay, um, it was grounds for annulment in the medieval mm-hmm. period because mm-hmm. they were actually long distant cousins yeah. and a lot of people who wanted to get out of marriages could could use it as a um, grounds for annulment. So um, doesn't happen. They're like, no, we're not going to, I'm not going to grant you the Pope of the time, whoever that is, says no, not going to, not going to grant that to you. So they go, okay, well, we'll just go home. So they head off home. And however, um, the path home is not easy. Louis and Eleanor are on different ships because they're fighting, mm-hmm. giving each other well, the silent treatment. So like, fair you, enough. You take that ship and I'll take yeah. the ship. Mm. and um, they're actually attacked on the way home by the Byzantines, but mm. they survive. They survive. And there's a big storm. Eleanor's ship, Eleanor's ship is driven far to the south. She loses track of Louis' ship. They're both not heard of for two months and they're pretty much presumed dead. But Eleanor's ship finally reaches Palermo in Sicily and she's taken in, given shelter and food until Louis comes to meet her. And he says, okay, let's go to the Pope and ask for this annulment. I'm with you. We, this is done. We're, it's, it's over. <laughs> I've had two months stranded. I am done. I am done. So they go to the Pope. Again, I, I don't know. I think it's maybe Eugene, Pope Eugene. I, think. I don't know. <laughs> Just from memory. Um, but he refuses. He refuses to give them an annulment. But instead he does what all good Popes do and says, what you guys need is a night in the honeymoon suite. Mm. Pops them into a little sex room and says, go and bang your brains out and when you come out of there, everything will be fine. So they do. They go Nothing and they get like a sex dungeon. A sex dungeon. Takes them mm. into the sex dungeon. Um, although, now, little little factoid here, apparently there are only 47 days of the year that couples could actually legally have sex 47 Mm -hmm. days out of the 365 days in the year Mm -hmm. there were many rules around certain saints days uh times of the year what the moon was doing times of the Mm -hmm. month Mm -hmm. so really it all boiled down to this 47 days and that that's the only time that you could have make children so the pope's gone i'm going to grant you this special day in the sex dungeon to try and make another baby Mm-hmm. And to hopefully give your husband a son, that's all he wants, and then it'll all be good, okay? And you've done your job, Eleanor. And you've done your job. She falls pregnant, but the marriage is now well and truly doomed because Eleanor has another girl. God, what a waste. Spawn. What a waste. And um, so that's it for Louis. He's like, no. Nah. This woman is not going to give me a son and um, now that he sees the danger of being left with no male heir, he eventually acquiescences on um, uh, the 11th of March in 1152 and he agrees to dissolve the marriage. So that is done and dusted. Mm-hmm. So um, we know that... Um, Kidnapping, I think I mentioned this earlier, kidnapping was very popular at the time. So when there was a, <laughs> it's very popular. 
popular pastime. Popular. What do you do? I just go out and oh, kidnap. kidnap. Yeah, mm, yeah. Uh, and word had spread that Eleanor was back on the market. So she was like, right, I've got to do something about this and I've got to get married straight away because mm. if I don't get married, I'm going to get kidnapped and I'm going to have to marry someone who I don't want to marry. So she sends for Henry, the Duke of Normandy, and says, Henry, come and marry me at once. <laughs> Stat. So enter the grandson of Henry I, King mm-hmm. of England, Henry Plantagenet, <gasps> there he is. of Anjou and the Duke of Normandy. Uh-huh. See, that's what we're doing wrong. We just have to, we just have to send for men. Mm. You just send for them. <laughs> Go and send, send for, for Jeffrey. I send for you, the Jeffrey. I have a list of things that I do and do not want, and make sure you find someone that yes. is appropriate. And come and marry me at once. No, I don't want to get married. Just come and hang out for a bit. Help me plant a veggie garden. <laughs> More like it. Okay, so on the 18th of May, 1152, just eight weeks after her annulment to Louis, Eleanor marries Henry. Now, this is this is very weird. Apparently, I mean, we know incest was a bit of a thing back then, but yeah. Eleanor is related to Henry now, um, related to Henry even more closely than she was to Louis. They were actually mm-hmm. cousins in third degree through common ancestors. Mm-hmm. And apparently a marriage had already been declared impossible between Henry and Eleanor's daughter. So one of Eleanor's daughter, either Marie or Alex, had also tried to marry Henry and it was denied because of their status as third cousins. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the mum is allowed. She's, she ranks higher, I assume. She does rank higher, but imagine that wedding. That's a bit awkward. Third cousins, though, that to me is surprising because you go back a few generations now mm. and quite often I had this conversation with someone the other yeah. day. She said, oh, you know, and cousins married cousins, uh, cousins married. I said, oh, very common. I've got it in my family. Yeah. That only goes back maybe five generations. Yeah. And they're first cousins. Well, so third cousins is that to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not so bad. Yeah, not so bad. <laughs> I mean, I'm not well, marrying my third cousin. No, <laughs> neither. But it, but it was a thing, I guess, like if we're talking kind of 18th, 19th century, it was the thing – because marriage was all about land and property, mm. right? So it was all about kind of keeping the wealth in the family. That's right. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. I just think the wedding, imagine just being at your mum's wedding and your mum's marrying the guy that you had tried to marry. Yeah. It's very um, bold and beautiful. Very. Oh, it is very mm. bold and beautiful. Mm. So, yeah. So then on the 25th of October, 1154, I love that we've got exact dates mm. for like yeah. This is incredible. Blows my mind. How do we incredible. know this? How do we know this? Wikipedia, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best yeah. resources. Um, so Henry becomes King of England after, wait for it, guess who dies so Henry can become King of England. You've talked what? about him before. Oh You've talked God, about which him before. One? A whole country so was named after him. Stephen. 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 
King Stephen. So we've got Stephen Jeffrey. Sorry, I Just, think my dog needs to go out. I can't do it. Yeah, so Henry becomes king of England after Stephen dies. Mm. R.I.P. Steve. R.I.P. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, and now, and also a heavily pregnant Eleanor is crowned the Queen of England. Now, this is where it kind of gets a little bit sketchy in that she was, <clears throat> she was still the Queen of France even though she had be, they they had the annulment of the mm-hmm. wedding because he hadn't remarried yet i don't mm-hmm. think so okay. she at the time is queen of england and queen mm. of france mm-hmm. at the same time amazing so uh although there were reports that the marriage wasn't great uh over the next 13 years they went on to have eight children mhm and she ended up having her sons, five oh. sons, in fact, and mm-hmm. three daughters. Now, going to give you just a little bit of a little bit of a um, quick fire round of the children, okay? Because I think it's important. <laughs> I think it's important. It's really important to know also. Like it was such a shit time for women and girls back then. Mm. Such a sh- you just wait, you just wait for this. So William. He dies when he's three. So William, he's the oldest. He was the guy in line for the crown. Yep. He's out already by default because he's dead. (laughs) Then Henry, Henry's known as the young king and he is the titular king of England. And titular, what is titular, you ask? I do. I do ask. It is a person in an official position of leadership who possesses few, if any, actual powers. So Mm -hmm. he was the only English king to be crowned during his father's reign but was frustrated by his father's refusal to grant him meaningful autonomous power. So he was made king when his dad was still alive, but he mm-hmm. had no powers. He died when he was 28 and then Richard becomes the next king, next mm-hmm. guy in line. Richard was the king of England from 1189 until his death in 1199 and this is Richard, Richard of Richard the Lionheart fame, oh. which you may have heard of mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because of his reputation as a great military leader and warrior. Now, Geoffrey the second (laughs) he was the duke of Brittany because he went on to marry the duchess of Brittany. Mm -hmm. so he doesn't really so nothing really big with him so and then john john uh did get to be king king of england from 1199 until his death in 1216 but as you will hear later on it it was a debacle he was absolutely crap at being a king and Eleanor had to stand in a lot of the time for him to make sure that, you know, they weren't going to lose the whole bloody kingdom because he was not doing a good job at all. And um, he was actually nicknamed John Lackland (laughs) because he was not expected to inherit um, any significant lands because he was the last in line, right? Mm -hmm. You know we were talking about names last week. Mm. Yes. Actually, his name was because he lacked land. There you go. John Lackland. So the girls, let's just hear about the girls, okay? Mm -hmm. Princess Matilda, Eleanor's firstborn daughter, uh, she was sent off to Germany at the age of 11 to wed Duke Henry the Lion of Saxony, 
a warrior who had to kneel at the wedding to bring his head down to her level. Oh. Because she was 11. Yeah. She was still a fetus and he would have been old man. Oh, just waiting for it. <laughs> Princess Eleanor, Matilda's younger sister, named Eleanor after their mother, was betrothed at the age of three oh. to Prince Frederick, the infant son of the German emperor, but the boy died before a wedding could be arranged. Five years later, she was betrothed to King Alfonso VIII and married to him when she was 12. She did more than fulfil her queenly duty by bearing 12 children to King Alfonso. Princess Joanna, uh, her th- uh, Eleanor's third daughter, was barely four years old when she was betrothed mm. to King William II, 10 years old when sent to Sicily for her wedding. Oh, my God. She was a pawn in the struggle between Pope Alexander III and the German Empire, which ruled much of Italy. So mm-hmm. just fun times yeah, for the yeah. girls. Yeah, great you know? childhood, you know. Fun just... times. Being told at four that you're mm. just going to marry that king. Anywho, out of all of Eleanor's influence on culture, this is my favourite. So between 1168 and 1173, uh, this was said to be the most critical part of her time reigning as a queen. She ran what was known uh, as the Court of Love. She encouraged the ideas of troubadours, chivalry and courtly love in her court and taught manners, something that the French courts would be known for in later generations. So... In medieval European literature, the conception of love uh, emphasised nobility and chivalry. Medieval literature is filled with examples of knights setting out on adventures and performing various deeds of services for ladies because of their courtly love. So this is kind of where chivalry and like all of that kind of comes from. And she ran her court to basically teach men how to be chivalrous. Mm-hmm. and how to have manners. So apparently Eleanor, along with her daughter Marie from her first marriage and a few other women would sit and listen to the quarrels of lovers and act as a jury to the questions of the court that revolved around acts of romantic love. It's, so like, it's like the love doctor. It's like the love doctor. I know. It's like a dear, dear Abby. The book The Art of Courtly Love by Andreas Capellanus sorry, probably mispronounced that, records some 21 cases, the most famous of them being a problem posed to the women about whether true love can exist in marriage. The women decided that it was not at all likely. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, Although there is no claim that Eleanor invented courtly love, the concept was already known um, and the concept was already known. It isn't argued that her court was most likely a catalyst for the increased popularity of courtly love literature in the Western European uh, regions. Ignore him. (laughs) So in 1173, her sons, as I mentioned earlier, three of her sons, they uh, organised a revolt against her husband. So her cultural activities came to a brutal end. So since Eleanor was 11 years her husband's senior, uh, she had long resented his infidelities and there are some accounts that say the revolt may have been instigated by her. Mm -hmm. Um, But in any case, she gave her sons considerable military support for the revolt. 
The revolt, however, failed and Eleanor was captured while seeking refuge in the kingdom of her first husband, Little Louis. Little Louis. She, however, is captured and she's imprisoned for the next 16 years. (gasps) Yeah, not fun. During her imprisonment, uh, Eleanor becomes more and more distant from her sons. She doesn't get to see them, um, although she's released for special occasions like Christmas. So I just love how, like, I mean, the sons are probably still living their best lives. Henry, the the king, the husband, has put her in jail. And, Mm. like, I say jail, but basically she's she's not in like a cell and it's, mm. not, it's not bad but it's not great. Yeah. Um, and she's, she does have someone with her all the time, 24-7, monitoring what she does and she's not allowed to do a lot of stuff. But Henry dies uh, in 1189 and then Richard becomes the next king and one of the first things he does is orders the release of his mother from prison and then Richard dies and I'm skipping through all this because there's a lot <laughs> happens, a lot. right? Yeah, so in 11, 1199, Richard then dies and John is crowned king. And John just is not a good leader. He's just he's just not. Eleanor at this stage is nearly 80 years old. <gasps> 80. That's, that's old for that time. That's Isn't really it? old for that time. Yeah. 80 years. She spent 16 years in prison and she's now 80 and she's come out to a, a son who doesn't can't bloody organize a chook raffle but mm-hmm. he's now the king of bloody England so she has to step up basically she's fearing the disintegration of the plantagenet domain she crosses the pyrenees in order to fetch a granddaughter so that she can get her to marry her to the son of the french king because she thinks that that's going to be a way for them mm-hmm. to get back into yep. royalty. By this marriage, she'd hoped to ensure peace between the Plantagenets of England and the Capetian kings of France. Uh, in the same year, she helps to defend Anjou and Aquitaine against her grandson, Arthur of Brittany. In the same year, she's helped to defend Anjou, I think that's how you say it, and Aquitaine against her grandsons. She's 80. Yeah. And she's wow. defending still defending her kingdom. Mm. Like it's just incredible. It is said that most of John's victories while he is king are due to Eleanor basically mm-hmm. sorting out his shit. Yep. Because <laughs> John, he's oh. not great. He's not great. So poor old Eleanor dies in uh, 12,004. She's entombed in the Fontevrod Fontevrod Abbey next to her husband, Henry, and her son, Richard. By the time of her death, she had outlived all of her children except (gasps) King John of England and Queen Eleanor of Gaspill. And that is the, I mean, abbreviated version of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Wowzers. She's a busy lady. She she was a busy lady and lived to be 80. Yeah, wow. I mean... That's like three lifetimes you would expect back mm. then. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And for those who like a video game, I don't know, <laughs> I just thought this was this was interesting. In 2019, video game Civilization 6, Gathering Storm, 
Eleanor is a playable leader for both the English and the French civilizations. So you can choose to be Eleanor and you can choose to represent either England or France. Excellent, Eleanor. Excellent, Eleanor. Oh, God, I'm glad that's over. That was a lot. That was a big one. Yeah. I started and I went, what the have I done? It gets confusing because, yeah, everyone's got the same names. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. We've got the same names and then there's lots of words that we don't even know in the English dictionary. So <laughs> I'm looking up, like every time I would read a sentence, I'd have to go, hang on, what does that mean? And like I have to Google <laughs> what that word means in mm. order for that sentence to make sense. And yep. it really felt like I was at, back at school doing mm. an essay. Yeah. But thoroughly enjoyed it. And I can't tell you how excited I was when I realised that Stephen gets a cameo. Stephen. Steve. King Steve. King Steve. The end. And that's it for me for this season. I better bring a banger next week, hadn't I? You better. You Mm. bloody better. If you have not gone back to the medieval times. (laughs) (laughs) I got the idea to do that from the podcast that I love called You're Dead to Me. Mm, Yes. Which is a history podcast, history comedy podcast, which I love and listen to it religiously. And, um, this was an old episode that I came across and I was like, wow, that's such a fascinating story of an mm. amazing woman to be queen of two kingdoms. I mean, I come know. on. Queen Gosh. of the world. Oh, she's, she's the, you know, historical Beyonce. She is. Oh, my mm. God, she so is. Mm. 